Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning for bringing us to this place. We have sung of your greatness, of your great love for us, of your grace extended to us. And Lord, we have sung that, we have heard sung that you are our shield, that you lift our heads. And Lord, we pray that this morning as we open your word, you would do just that through the miraculous nature of your presence here with us this morning. Spirit, fill us with your presence and help us to understand what you have to say to us and help us to obey where you lead us to go. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, do you feel like you're in the wilderness? This morning, do you feel like you're in the wilderness? Are you in the wilderness this morning? Do you feel like you're in a dark place? In a difficult place? That's what the wilderness is. A dark, difficult place where you feel alone. Where you kind of think to yourself, I'm not quite sure that God's shield is working. Because I feel kind of alone and helpless. I'm not really sure what tomorrow is going to bring. That's the wilderness. Maybe you're here this morning and you weren't born in the United States. Maybe you weren't even born in West Michigan and you feel different because you're a foreigner. Maybe you don't relate to people in your family because you're a Christian and nobody else in your family is a Christian. Maybe the color of your skin is different than the skin color of those people around you. Maybe your workplace or your school is an environment that's hostile to Christians. Maybe you're sick and you feel helpless and alone. Or maybe it's a financial struggle that you just, you can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Those are all examples of the wilderness. Behind me this morning is a picture of the wilderness in Israel. And when people ask me what my favorite part of Israel is, it's the wilderness. That's what it looks like. And that's often what our wildernesses feel like, isn't it? Barren, dry, loneliness. I think I resonate with the wilderness so much because we all have wilderness experiences. And it's such a good metaphor for life. The wilderness. This morning we're going to continue our study in the book of Mark. So I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is found on page 812 in the Bible that the church provides. I'd encourage you to follow along this morning. We've been seeing in the book of Mark that the book of Mark works on two levels. It's designed for those who do not know Jesus to have their eyes miraculously opened to see that Jesus is the only savior of the world. It also works for those of us who are Christians to help us see that Jesus accomplished what he accomplished through suffering and service and that's what he calls each one of us to as well which means that Jesus wants to use us and our wildernesses 
to help open the eyes of people that don't yet know him or can't yet see Jesus as the only Savior. But what about us? Think about it, really, what about us? Yes, Jesus wants to use us in our wildernesses to help open other people's eyes, but what about us? What about us? What about me when I'm in a wilderness? What about you when you're in a wilderness? How is it you can survive the wilderness? It's all well and good that God's going to use us. But how, how do you make it if you're a foreigner? How do you make it if your skin color is different and you're being discriminated against because you, just because you have a different skin color? How are you going to make it through the financial difficulty? How are you going to survive the sickness? How is it that you can make it through the wilderness? How can I make it through the wilderness? I believe that scripture has many tools to help us get through the wilderness. But this morning we're going to look at one of the tools. It's an essential tool to getting through the wilderness. And I think it's, it's sometimes we don't think about it as a tool to get through the wilderness or, or even to help us prepare for the wilderness. Because let's face it, if you're not in a wilderness right now, guess what? Amen. One's probably on its way. So how do you survive in the wilderness? How do, you, how, how do you prepare for the wildernesses that are gonna come in our, your life? Well, there's an essential tool. We don't think about it very much. Sometimes we even ignore it. And I'll tell you what, some of you even have it. Not all of you, but some of you even have the tool, the essential. The essential is baptism. Yes, I said it. Baptism. And you're thinking to yourself, baptism? What does that have to do with helping me survive or prepare for the wilderness? Isn't it just some religious ceremony? Tom, Josh, Jim, they kind of stand up in the tank and there's a bunch of water up there and bam, you go back, boom, you come up, you're all wet, everybody claps. <laughs> religious ceremony. And yes, from the outside, kind of looking up, yes, it can be looked at as a religious ceremony. And if I'm baptized as an infant, if you were baptized as an infant, or maybe God's even doing some great stuff in your life and you haven't been baptized yet, you think to yourself, well, do I, do I really need baptism? Isn't it just a religious ceremony? But if it is only a religious ceremony, why does Jesus get baptized? This morning, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism to help us understand what it means to be baptized, why it's important to be baptized, and how Jesus' baptism instructs you and me in our lives. Before we dig in, though, I want to say this. Of all the theological issues in Christendom, baptism can be one of the most divisive and debated issues. For thousands of years, godly men and women have disagreed over baptism. In fact, there have been whole denominations that have started over disagreements in baptism. But that's not going to happen to us here this morning. All I ask is that you listen, you open your ears and your hearts to what the Spirit has to say to you this morning. Mark chapter 1. 
in Mark chapter one, in Mark's gospel, the first time we meet Jesus is at his baptism. Before any of his public ministry has begun, Jesus came into the wilderness to be baptized by John the Baptist. We do not read of his birth. We do not read of his childhood. We do not read of his life before this point. We meet Jesus at his baptism. And at this time, Jesus is between 30 and 34 years of age. And this is how Mark chooses to introduce Jesus. It is at his baptism. And it is because Jesus needs to do something before his public ministry get started. He needs to do something before he enters into the wilderness. Look at Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased." All four of the Gospels record Jesus' baptism. Matthew, Mark here, Luke, and John all record Jesus' baptism. This is a very significant event in Jesus' life. It is his preparation for ministry. It is his preparation for the wilderness. But there is something here that is strange. There's something strange about Jesus' baptism. Think about this. We saw earlier in the first chapter of Mark that John the Baptist was baptizing people in the Jordan River in in the wilderness. People from all over, people from Judea and people from Jerusalem were coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. They're coming and they're confessing their sins and they're repenting. Look what it says in verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. John was preaching a baptism of repentance, preaching a baptism of repentance, of turning away from sin. So why would Jesus need to be baptized? Jesus isn't a sinner. Scripture clearly tells us that Jesus was the sinless son of God. In fact, in Matthew's account of Jesus's baptism, John the Baptist gets, gets a little, little, little upset that Jesus is coming to him to be baptized. John the Baptist protests. Look what happens. Look what he says. He says, this is John the Baptist, Matthew 3. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John doesn't see anything in Jesus' life that would require him to be baptized for the repentance of sins. Because Jesus is sinless. He's without sin. Now look at Jesus' remarkable response. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus is being baptized because it is in God's plan for Jesus to be baptized. Jesus is being obedient to God the Father in being baptized is why he comes to fulfill all righteousness. Now let's look a little bit deeper at what that means to fulfill all righteousness. There's four reasons that I want you to see this morning why Jesus was baptized. First, Jesus being baptized was an act of identification. It's an act of identification. In his baptism, Jesus is identifying with us in our sinful humanity, in our failure, and in our weakness. He took our place. 
See, we often think that Jesus took our place on the cross, which is true. Jesus did take our place on the cross, but he begins to take our place right here at his baptism in identifying with us in our sinful state. Jesus is identifying with us in his baptism. He's baptized as an act of obedience, which symbolizes what Jesus' entire ministry was all about, making it possible for sinners to repent, to find forgiveness, and to enter into new life. His baptism in the Jordan River is a picture of his baptism of suffering yet to come on the cross. Jesus takes our place in his baptism and he proceeds through his life to take, end up taking our place on the cross, dying on the cross, buried in the grave, and rising from the dead. In his baptism, Jesus is identifying with us because he takes our sin upon himself. Look at how Paul puts it in Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God places our sins on Jesus so that we, the unrighteous, can know righteousness. Jesus' baptism in the Jordan River is an expression of his love for us. It represents his loving identification with us, a sinful, fearful people. Think about all the people that are coming from Judea and Jerusalem to the Jordan. And while they're there at the Jordan confessing sins and being baptized by John the Baptist, Jesus shows up and he identifies with them and he says, I am being baptized because I love you. I am one with you. Jesus identifies with us in his baptism. Second, the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus. Look at verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he now saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Other translations say immediately. Immediately as Jesus was coming up out of the water, heaven split and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus. Now this is clearly not the first time that Jesus had the Spirit. This is one of the great Trinitarian passages in all of the New Testament. God the Son descends into the water. God the Holy Spirit descends from heaven. God the Father speaks words of affirmation from heaven. This is a Trinitarian passage. Three persons, one God. So Jesus already has the Holy Spirit. But here, the Spirit descending like a dove means that Jesus is given a new manifestation or maybe a special manifestation of the Spirit empowering him to accomplish the ministry, the task that he has been assigned to. In the Old Testament, there's lots of references. This may help. There's lots of references of kings and priests being anointed for the task, for the mission, for the calling that's on their life. This is what is happening to Jesus. He is being anointed by the Holy Spirit. He is being empowered to accomplish the task that God has given to him. He's been empowered to endure the wilderness. A few weeks later, after Jesus' baptism, Jesus is in Nazareth. And he's in Nazareth and he's speaking at the synagogue 
And he quotes Isaiah 61 while he's at the synagogue and he uses language that is descriptive of what happens to him at his baptism. Look what he says in the synagogue in Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What happens when Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River? The Spirit comes on him to empower him to accomplish the ministry tasks that he's been assigned to. This is, the def- this is what he does in his three and a half year ministry on earth. And at his baptism, in the wilderness, at the Jordan River, the Spirit descends upon him, and he is empowered for the task. The third aspect of Jesus' baptism is that he hears the affirmation of God the Father. Look at verse 11. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. God the Father declares his love and his approval for his son. It's important for Jesus to hear this declaration of love as he begins his ministry. And he's about to enter the wilderness. But before he goes in the wilderness, before he begins his ministry, his heavenly father declares his love for him, declares his affirmation. These are the words of, aff- these are words of affirmation that we all long to hear from the people that matter most to us from our parents, from our spouses, from our good friends, from people we look up to, these words of affirmation, any words of affirmation, provide encouragement. Encouragement to endure and encouragement to complete the task. And here God the Father affirms his son. In the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this and says, you are my son, chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. Beautiful words of blessing. And I want you to notice that these beautiful words of affirmation of blessing come before Jesus has even begun his earthly ministry. There's no expectation. There's no requirement. Jesus just says, you're my son and I love you. Fourth, quickly, I want you to see that Jesus' baptism was preparation for his ministry. What happens immediately after Jesus is baptized? What happens? Where does he go? Wilderness. He goes into the wilderness immediately after he's baptized. Look at verses 12 and 13. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Now this makes me think that the timing of baptism, of his baptism is important. And not only the timing of the baptism is important, but the baptism itself was important. That there is meaning to this baptism, that Jesus had to identify with us, he had to be empowered by this spirit, and he had to be affirmed by his heavenly father prior to starting his earthly ministry. And maybe most importantly, prior to entering into the wilderness where Satan was going to tempt him for 40 days and nights. This was preparation for Jesus. It was neat. Jesus needed this to happen before his earthly ministry began. He identified with us. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was affirmed by God the Father in preparation for his ministry. So what does it mean for you and what does it mean for me? 
Is it instructive to us? Is baptism important for us? Absolutely is the answer. And I'd like, to sh- I'd like to show that to you by using the same four points from Jesus's baptism. Identification, empowerment, affirmation, preparation. First, identification. In his baptism, Jesus identifies with us and asks us to identify with him. Look at Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is called the Great Commission. And identifying with Jesus means obeying what Jesus instructs us to do. And in the Great Commission, Jesus says, go, make disciples and teach them. And if he says, go, make disciples and teach, he also says, baptize. If the Great Commission includes go, teaching, making disciples, it also includes baptizing. It's Jesus' instructions to you and me. So in obedience, if we go and baptize, that is obedience. If we baptize, we obey. If we do not baptize, we do not obey. Identifying with Jesus means obeying him by being baptized. Let's flesh this out a little bit more. In the book of Acts, there's at least 10 references to baptism. I want to run through them quickly with you, but look at this great weight of scripture. Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, but when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Later in Acts 8, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Acts 9, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Acts 10, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Next sheet. Acts 16, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. This is Lydia. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Acts 16, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Later on at that night, The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. Acts 18, Crispus, the synagogue leader and his entire household believed in the Lord and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believe and believed and were baptized. Acts 19, Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts 22, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. The great weight of scripture commands us to identify with Jesus Christ by following his example and his instruction and be baptized. It is the great weight of all of scripture. That was just 10 references in Acts. There is much more throughout the New Testament. And did you notice that baptism always followed belief in Jesus Christ? 
faith in Jesus first, followed by baptism. And it's in this baptism that we identify with Jesus. Look what M.R.D. Hahn said. M.R.D. Hahn is the founding pastor of Calvary Church. Look at what he wrote. In the early days of the church, baptism was a declaration that the believer was definitely identifying himself with that group of people who were called Christians and were despised and hated. To be a Christian meant something. To identify yourself with those who were called Christians meant persecution, maybe death. It meant being ostracized from your family, shunned by friends, and the one act which was the final declaration of this identification was baptism. As long as a man gathered with Christians, he was tolerated. But when once he submitted to baptism, he declared to all the world, I belong to this despised group. And immediately he was persecuted, hated, and despised. In baptism, therefore, the believer entered into a fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. A person might be a believer and keep it strictly a secret and thus avoid unpleasantness and suffering. But once he submitted to public baptism, he had burned his bridges behind him. I love that statement. He had burned his bridges behind him. This is in baptism, we identify with Jesus Christ. He was first baptized, he commands us to be baptized. The great weight of scripture commands you and me following belief to be baptized to identify with Jesus. When you enter the waters of baptism and you stand there, it is representative, it is symbolic of Jesus standing or being hung on a cross. When you go down into the waters, it is symbolic of Jesus being buried in the grave. And when you rise up out of the waters, it is symbolic of Jesus rising from the dead. And when you do that personally, you are saying, I die with Christ. I go into the grave with Christ and I rise with Christ to new life. That's what baptism is. And you identify with Jesus in your baptism. Two points before we go on to point two. (laughs) In the manuscript, it was worded much smoother. First, the mode of baptism the mode of baptism. Throughout Christian history in 2,000 years, there's been essentially three modes of baptism. Sprinkling, pouring, immersion. Sprinkling, pouring, immersion. The word baptize in Greek is the word that means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. Baptize in Greek means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. It Root means to completely overwhelm. There are other words, other Greek words, that the writers of Scripture could have used if they wanted to instruct us to sprinkle or to pour. They chose to use the word baptize, to dip, plunge, immerse. That's why here at Calvary Church, we immerse as the mode of baptism. Second, infant baptism. There is a lot of confusion and misunderstanding about infant baptism. And there is really a big difference between infant baptism and believer's baptism. And what I want to share with you is that nowhere in the New Testament is there an example of an infant being baptized. 
Nowhere in the New Testament is there an example of an infant being baptized. Millard Erickson, in his systematic theology, has written this. Millard Erickson, in his systematic theology, has written this. The only people whom the New Testament specifically identifies by name as having been baptized were adults at the time of their baptism. There are no examples in the New Testament of infant baptism. And then second, in regards to infant baptism, throughout the New Testament, belief always precedes baptism. Faith is always the prerequisite for baptism. In baptism, we identify with Jesus Christ. Second, in baptism, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, I said earlier that there are many disputes over baptism, and you may not agree with me on this one, but I'd ask you to consider what I have to say. I believe that in baptism, there is something special, there is something miraculous, there is something mysterious that happens when you go down into those waters and come up out of those waters. And what I believe happens is I believe that the Holy Spirit empowers in a special way. Now hear me clearly, I am not saying that baptism is required for salvation. And I am not saying that you do not have the Holy Spirit prior to being baptized. Last week, Jim was clear. When you become a Christian, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, receive him as Savior, you immediately receive the Holy Spirit. But in Jesus' case, he was already one with the Holy Spirit. He already had the Holy Spirit, but he is baptized, and when he goes down in the waters and comes out of the waters, the Holy Spirit descends from heaven on him and anoints him with special power. There's also another argument I have for you. It's an argument from silence. It's not quite the strongest argument, but run with me on this one. Acts chapter 8, Philip and the eunuch. Philip and the eunuch are driving along in the chariot, right? They're driving along in the chariot. Obviously, Philip's talking to him about Jesus. And they come along and they're driving along the road and the eunuch says, hey, wait, there's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized right now? What do they do? They stop the chariot, they get out, and Philip baptizes the eunuch in the water. Why? Identification? Maybe, but there, isn't, there might be a chariot driver there, but there doesn't seem to be anybody else there. So Why? Because the eunuch wants to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, he wants the identification, but he wants the power that the Holy Spirit brings. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus for the journey that he had to go on, preparing him for the wilderness. And I believe that when we enter the waters of baptism, the Holy Spirit empowers us. It's not the first time we receive him. It is not required for salvation. But something special happens. Third, Affirmation. We receive affirmation from God the Father when we are baptized. When I baptize people, we meet right up there. That's, that's our baptismal, by the way, if you're new. And there are, there's a room on this side for men. There's a room on that side for women. And before we go to, into the baptism service, we meet and we talk. And every time we're up there before, I try to say a little bit to kind of give some information so people aren't quite so nervous. It can be scary to come out in front of all of you and, and give a testimony or say something. It can be scary to be baptized. So I say something like this. I say, you really don't need to be nervous. 
I want you to know that every Christian out there is for you. Every Christian out there wants to hear what you have to say. Now, why do I do that? Yes, it alleviates some nerves, but I also do it because it's more than just you. It's actually God affirming them through you. And this is how it works. As the church, we are referred to as the body of Christ, right? We are the body of Christ because Christ lives in me and Christ lives in you if you are a Christian. Christ is in us. That's what makes us the body of Christ. So when a person goes down into those waters and comes out of those waters in baptism and you all clap and cheer and the heavens rip open, that is God affirming that person through you. It's God saying, you are my son or you are my daughter. I love you and I'm pleased with you. In baptism, we identify with Jesus. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we are affirmed by the Heavenly Father. I started this morning asking if you were in the wilderness. I wanna ask you one more question as we close. Why not? Why would you not be baptized? Why not? Jesus was baptized to identify with you, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be affirmed by God, his heavenly Father, in preparation for his ministry. Why not? Why would you not want to identify with Jesus? to be empowered by the Holy Spirit and to be affirmed by God. Why not? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come to this place to worship you, to hear from you, Lord, you are so good to us. And I recognize, Lord, that there are a lot of issues, there are a lot of problems, there are a lot of wildernesses in this room this morning. And you've given us so many provisions of your mercy and grace to demonstrate your faithfulness to us through the wilderness and on this journey of life that you have us on. But Lord, help us this morning to see that baptism is one of those and is not only just one of those, it's an essential. So I pray, Lord, that in right now in the hearts and minds of those here this morning who have not been baptized, that you are doing what you do. And I pray, Lord, that they would respond in obedience. Lord, that's what you've called each one of us to. Faith in you to live lives of obedience, to bring honor and glory and praise to your name. Continue to work in us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.